0: A dream that we don't die for A reason for us all to live and something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a new one. But no matter what I do, my hand's remembering my rifle Welcome to Veterans Day of Mind, I'm your host Geron Jones And I am joined live and direct from the United States Joining me via, what are we on, FaceTime, Keith Waterdow How are you doing bro? Hey, good Geron, how are you buddy? I'm really good thanks mate um, We're going to talk a lot about books and things today I love it when I see a nice learned bookshelf behind the guest i know we're gonna have some fire to talk about mate um before we get into it mate can you give everyone just like a brief overview of who you are where you served um you know who you served with and all that kind of jazz
1: yeah um so i grew up uh in new england uh, mostly between like massachusetts and new hampshire but if anybody doesn't know it's like that weird area of the united states where there's like a triangle like intersection of of states and you can be in four states in like 20 minutes so um it always blows people's mind when they're when they haven't like left their home state other than the military but um pretty cool place to grow up uh ended up uh touring with a hardcore band um in like the early 2000s uh and then when i got home i just kind of didn't feel like i was really contributing to anything i was working working hard working you know lots of hours at two different jobs um after I had put down the touring thing and just didn't feel like I was really going anywhere with either of them. So uh, I had a couple friends at the time who had just gotten back um, both from, from tours in Iraq one had a pretty serious injury and the other had just done, you know, a, a good stint in the Marine Corps and then came home. Um, and prior to that, I didn't really have any exposure to the military. Um, so I had never really thought about it. And my roommate and I at the time were just like, oh man. Uh, he, I think he came home one day, or I came home from one day. It was one of the two. One of us was having a beer on the couch. One of us came home from work. We still can't figure it out. We were just together last weekend. We still can't figure out who was who. But uh, one of us, you know, was like, oh, I'm thinking about joining the military, and didn't know anything about it. You know, we were still like, we were in our early 20s, so we were a little bit older than you know a 17, 18 year old kid, but we didn't know know the ins and outs. Uh, and so we just kind of started that journey on our own. We both ended up joining the army. Um, I did, uh, five years as an MP, uh, and did uh, a couple years at Fort Lewis, deployed to Iraq from there, uh, did the last two years in Italy, uh, and then got out. I had short timer syndrome. Um, there were times when I thought about making a, a longer career out of it, but, um, but I ended up just doing my initial enlistment and then popping out. Mate,
0: first question: Have you been working out? Because your shoulders are looking excellent. I have to. Yo, say. I was
1: just gonna say I was listening to the podcast with Neville, and I was like, I gotta tell this dude how good his arms look. Because that was dude, <laughs> whatever whatever drink he was drinking is just juicing him up. Combat fuel, bro. combat fuel, yeah, combat fuel. Um, there we go. Now you don't have to jump in in the
0: middle. We have to start doing videos on here. We have so many beautiful guests on the podcast. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a crying shame. That'll get our Patreon figures up through the roof. <laughs> every <laughs> guest now has to provide several nudes for <laughs> use on the on the podcast only fans um mate i want to talk a bit about music before we start going down into the military stuff then so when did you yeah where did you kind of um you know because I, mean, I think everyone kind of goes through a phase where they think about being a musician or a dj it's kind of like the fighter pilot thing right everyone at some point is like i'm going to be a fighter pilot so when does when did the uh, music thing kind of kick off for you and how
1: i don't have a musical bone in my body uh, so you chose hardcore then? <laughs> yeah, I tried. I tried to play bass when I was younger and and picked it up for a little bit, but I, I never played in any bands um, and put it down before that opportunity even presented itself. So really, what happened was like 2006 uh, was the second time uh, since like I graduated high school in 2005, and like twice within like two years, I, I had moved to Boston just because that's what all my friends were doing. It was you know the city within an hour um, of where I grew up. And, um, uh, I had broken up with a girlfriend, like was just kind of aimless, like, uh, had picked up a couple, like, you know, like odd work, like cash work and stuff in the city. Uh, but wasn't really like maintaining a steady job. I was just like the the closest I've ever been to a bum in my life for sure. And like, it was either like move back to New Hampshire where it was a bit cheaper. And I, I had some more opportunities or I had a friend's band who needed like somebody to do merch, uh, that was doing a full us tour. And so within like a week, I kind of just made the decision. Like I just packed up all my shit. I moved in, uh, my parents' garage, um, and then went nomadic for a little bit. And I did that for like about two years. Um, and then, uh, and it was really cool. I got to, so, I, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't play to answer your question short. I didn't, I didn't play any instruments. I just ended up getting a really cool opportunity to like hang out with my friends in a van and uh, and get paid a couple bucks a day to to see the country, which was sweet. Groupies? Nah, <laughs> 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 no, just just fights with old dudes wandering drunk into shows full of pissed off teenagers and uh, burritos and t- <laughs> t- taking taking shits and bird baths at Guitar Center. That was pretty much. Wow. If I could sum it up in a paragraph, it's probably about it. That was, that was the most consistent theme.
0: We should probably explain the hardcore music. When we say hardcore in America, we're talking about very different kind of style of hardcore. To like, so like UK, like hardcore is all very nice lyrics about being in love and all that stuff with like, it's like an EDM style, like a really fast paced EDM style. Oh shit. So I don't think we're talking about the same kind of hardcore, are we?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, I guess like hardcore has turned into uh, kind of an adjective over the years. Um, but uh but yeah no more more along the lines of punk rock and i mean you guys definitely have a hardcore scene um we've got you know tons of friends and bands in in the uk and stuff when i think of the uk i usually think of Oi. but um but uh but yeah yeah you guys have a cool scene too
0: i've never been i've got to be honest man i kind of things never kind of been it's always been dance music for me i find it really interesting though with music like how not that I really got, you know, like, not that I hate any kind of music really, but yeah. I always kind of find it really interesting the route people go down because I think quite often it's like it is one of those things that you kind of pick one as a kid. Yeah. And like quite often you are stuck on that for the rest of your life, right?
1: When I was growing up too, like I listened to a lot of hip hop, a lot of rap, um, like, you know, the early 90s stuff uh, is what I came up on. And I find that that a lot of times will intersect with with hardcore music. A lot, of, you know, there's a lot of people that were drawn to it one way or another. Sometimes like graffiti is the segue. Or just like being in a place where you, um, you know, you don't necessarily fit with like the rest of society. So it's, I mean, it, it, there's always some sort of like kind of tunnel uh, between like genres and and subcultures and stuff like that. But that that was what I found was that you know hardcore or, like was you know I found that through kind of hip hop and graffiti and um, and stuff like that. So
0: so like kind of like a because they're both kind of social commentaries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that is one thing, um, you know, I mean, I, like I don't begrudge any kind of music. Like I remember I had the conversation a while ago one of like, uh, guys was hanging out in L- LA with a lot, was a very successful kind of music producer and stuff. And he was kind of complaining about mumble rap and how it's not hip hop isn't what it used to be. I'm like, well, I don't think all music has to be life-changing, groundbreaking social commentary. Sometimes it can just be entertainment and sometimes you want entertainment that's like you know, you know, don't watch the episode of Family Guy can way think it you know, on oh, my life's changed. you know you just entertained for twenty minutes, and I think the same can be same could be done of, of of music what What did you kind of like that tour what were the, what was some of the kind of things that you kind of you look at that back on that now and and think? Is there anything in that period of time that you look back on and think that that was like a major kind of like a, an artery of the root of your life?
1: Yeah, I think it gave me a lot of perspective. I mean, I saw more of the country in like a month than my parents saw in their entire lives. You know, Europe, like I've been to Europe too. And, and like Europe is, is similar to the States where like, you know, you can travel three hours and then be in a different country. And that's fucking cool. Like, and it's a, you know, it's a different language. It's a different culture. Uh, like, you know, everybody dresses different. Everybody, everybody will approach you differently. Like, you know, what country might be friendlier towards, especially Americans, like we're fucking dicks, but, uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so if, uh, you know, in the U S is the same way. Like you can be, um, like I just, I just drove co- cross country. And even right now, like, you know, post pandemic where, Uh, everybody is kind of reacting to everything differently. You can be, you can drive two hours and everybody, the procedure in a restaurant is totally different from where you were two hours ago, maybe 20 minutes ago, you know, like you, you go from County to County and it's, it's like a different planet. Um, and so I think like that, that really shifted my perspective and I'm really, I'm super thankful for the opportunity. You know, those, those guys are still some of my best friends and, um, and being able to see, uh, see so much of the country also like gave me that deep, deep appreciation of service. Um, you know, once, once I was in the military, I, a lot of people are like, Oh, like for my country. And a lot of people don't know what that means. A lot of people don't, you know, haven't seen a lot of it. A lot of people like come from, you know, um, I'm not going to name any one state because Somebody's going to get butt hurt, but like one state and that's all they've seen of, of the entire United States. And that's what they're fighting for. And that's great. But like, you have a very deep appreciation if you like, if you love the country as a whole, you know, um, there's like, there's for sure states that I would not choose to live in, uh, for prolonged for periods of time. Um, but like the country as a whole is, is near and dear to me.
0: I think that's a really good point, mate, because like you said, when you are fighting for a country and the country's freedom stuff, that, that is for, all the uh, all the opinions and the attitudes and the laws and everything like that that you disagree with, which in America, because you have like the state-by-state, state, you know, such different cultures, that really is a lot more pronounced. You know, if you go to America, you, if you're in the American military, you're fighting for freedom, well, that might mean that you're fighting, if you're from a very liberal area in California, you might think very differently to someone from Texas, but you're both, you know, there needs to be that mutual respect of like, you're fighting for, rather than somebody's, um, like a, and rather than one thing, you're fighting for somebody's ability to
1: to choose, um, or to not choose. Yeah, or to not like, choose. To be yeah. fucking, to be <laughs> ignorant as fuck, dude. Like yeah. you know, like I love those people too. Like you do, you do whatever you do. Like you live, you know. Um, and, and like because that's your that's your right, and that's like that's the the freedom that's provided, you know.
0: Mate, yeah, and I think the last kind of like six, seven years, especially, you're really starting to see. Well, who actually? You know, cause you see a lot of people like, well, I went to fight for freedom and then they're like, Oh, how can these people do that? How can these people, I don't want them to be able to do this and that. It's like, well, yeah. were you ever actually fighting for freedom or were you like, well, this right now lines up with what I want. Yeah. Therefore I'll call it freedom. But now they're doing that. Well, it's like, and I think really now you've kind of, you've seen that, especially in America as well, because I do think that things are so much more polarized, you know, in America. Yeah. What was politics like the situation with politics when you were in the military? You know, what was the, the kind of like, was it discussed? Was it like a big deal? What, how was that? And what year were you in the military as well? Actually, we should note that. Uh,
1: So I enlisted in 2008. Uh, So I enlisted under the Bush administration. Obama uh, came into office in uh, the fall. And (laughs) I remember uh, a black dude in my platoon, um, and it was like, I mean, it was, it was all taken like lightly and, and everybody like laughed about it. But, uh, I remember a black dude in my platoon had uh, sent out a mass text to the platoon and said, the black man's in office, uh, all white people report to the PT field. Um, and like, it, it was just, I, I think that was, so, I mean, in my unit, um, that was the kind of dynamic there was, it was, it was really, uh, lighthearted. Uh, most of the company, uh, had deployed together uh, to Bakuba in 2007 so there was a a pretty strong uh, bond among like the senior enlisted um, most of the officers had already passed on because that's how the army works um, you know you do your platoon leader time and in like exo time co time and then you're gone somewhere else um, so they didn't stay too long but you know we are I mean we even heard stories about how good the officers were on that deployment but I mean, in terms of politics and stuff, it was, uh, I can't imagine being in, um, right now I'll say that like in terms of like the poles polarization and stuff. And that's not, I mean, when I first went in, it's not what I experienced. I mean, the, um, tattoo policies, uh, were still fairly lax. Um, my buddy and I, uh, Ryan tried to Uh, tried to enlist in the Marine Corps first, uh, we already had too many tattoos. Mm -hmm. So they had already changed their, it was 2008. they had already changed their tattoo policy, I think in like 2006. Um, And so the, the army's tattoo policy was still pretty lax. Um, And we, that was one thing that stuck out to me right away was like the push on that. Um, Even though the, Policy was lax. There were there was already like uh, a push to identify organized crime and stuff. So I got screened for my tattoos like probably uh, four or five times before I even got to my unit. So like at the recruiter's office, at the processing center, um, you know, at the unit where like I first reported to for for basic, and then when I got to Fort Lewis uh, for my first duty station, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it was a I mean it was an interesting time, but I think right now it's probably probably wild to be a private.
0: I think uh, that Marine Corps tattoo policy probably saved a lot of lives. I mean, you know, you think about it. Yeah, for sure. God bless those
1: people checking
0: those tattoos. I mean, that's all I could say.
1: What I heard heard happened to um I can't remember I'm pretty sure it was like uh a politician was at like an honor guard ceremony and, and somebody had you know, a, a Marine had a, a tattoo on his neck or something. And, and then it just kind of shit stormed from there. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely a life saving measure to, so, you know, keep, keep tattoos off service members.
0: That Marine had also killed three human beings, but I mean, like, <laughs> that's just by the <quite laughs> I mean, the, you know. but dude, we were, when we were, um, out in uh, Afghanistan, we had the thing of, cause at first, I mean, you've, you'll have seen the pictures. You've got the soldiers out there, t-shirts, body armor, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then when the Americans started coming in, it was, I think it was the Marine Corps. They were basically like, you know, wanted all the proper uniform to be on. And the kind of uh, thinking was, well, if these guys aren't wearing the uniform properly, then the next step will be like Vietnam and they'll be raping, the local villagers and, and doing the whole village. Yeah. And I mean I gotta be honest dude, whenever I had that t shirt on under my body armor, I was like, oh, I really want to rape and murder my way through the village right now. But as soon <laughs> as I put as soon as I put the shirt on, all those thoughts just fell away from my mind. It was it was and it was gone.
1: It's you know, like doctrine like that. Uh sometimes sometimes once you start to see the breakdown, you can you can make some sense of it. But like, overall, it's just like you're saying, it's like, well, what the fuck is the point? You know, you're, you're telling somebody that they're, they're more likely to, uh, to die if they're wearing white socks or like, what is, you know, or, or is there any science behind it? Is is there any, anything to back it up? Um, so I think sometimes that shit gets pushed, but
0: yeah, like if someone wants to make an argument, and be like, "Look, you should have your sleeves down because if there's an explosion, you get like a, it'll protect you from like flash burn and stuff." It's like, okay, that's an argument, yeah. But what the was actually coming down was these. This is what happened in Vietnam. And it's like, all right, well, that's actually got nothing to do with protecting you from burns or, or any of that stuff, and you know. But how did you find it? Because I like one of the things I always think with the military is I do think there's a lot to be said for the younger you go in, the easier you'll probably adjust to it because you haven't experienced any life and you haven't had to look after yourself. So how was it going into basic and stuff in your twenties?
1: I was just talking about how like yeah, that kind of applies to like marksmanship, right? Like if somebody's going to be easier to teach how to shoot, if they've never held a weapon versus like breaking bad habits on somebody who has been around guns their whole life. Um, and I think, I think it can go either way to be honest. I think a lot of times I had um, my skin was a lot thicker, uh, but I think that's also how I grew up. Right. Like somebody who, um, like I enlisted when I was 21 and I think somebody who enlisted when they were 21, but stayed at home the whole time probably wouldn't have had the same experience. Wouldn't have had as, as thick a skin, you know, um, just cause you're older definitely doesn't mean that you're more mature. Uh, cause we had, we had like a dude that was pushing 40 in my basic training class. Wow. Um, he, yeah, he was a, he was a paramedic. Um, cause we went through with, um, uh, reserve and national guard as well. They do, they do basic and AIT uh, all the same. I think it depends on the MOS, but um, you know, he was a civilian paramedic. And so he just went through to go like, you know, the reserves, whatever as, as something else to do as well. I mean, he was good, but he definitely had a low tolerance for the bullshit. I think I was somewhere in between where I like, I understood the younger guys, but I also had an appreciation for appreciation for the older guys. So I think it can, it can work against you if you let it, um, but I do, I do not think I was in the mindset, uh, leaving high school. I don't think I was in the mindset leaving high school to do fucking anything. Um, I didn't, I, I wasn't prepared for higher education. I wasn't prepared for a trade. Uh, I didn't have anybody pushing me in any of that shit. Um, you know, my dad lived an hour and a half away. Um, and my mom was doing her thing. And so I didn't have anybody pushing me like during, you know, those, those early years into sports or any kind of, you know, pursuits of, of anything, um, anything that would lead to a career or even a passion, you know? Um, I think that's where I like, that's where I found hardcore. That's where I found art. That's where I started writing, um, all all those things that I could do on my own and I could kind of push on my own. And I found that I liked, um, and they were encouraged, but not necessarily facilitated.
0: So I was just thinking, mate. Like, this is quite interesting from a British point of view. Is obviously we don't really have people coming into basic with any kind of weapons familiarity whatsoever, right? So, what is what what is that like then in the in the American military when you've got like what what kind of numbers are you looking at? You know, ballpark for who's handled weapons before, who thinks they you know they're any good, who's fucking brilliant on them. Like, how, what was that like in your platoon?
1: I would actually be interested in seeing those those types of numbers too. Um, but I think it was pretty common. I think most people had at least seen a gun. Most people had maybe fired a gun, but in terms of like proficiency and stuff, there were probably like half a dozen out of, you know, out of a company that like, uh, that were difficult to break habits of that were like, you know, using like Kentucky windage and shit like that. Um, uh, where, where they'd have to get kicked in the back of the head to like, actually like tell them to stop.
0: It was Kentucky windage, right?
1: like uh compensating for so like instead of like actually zeroing instead of like bucking down on your fundamentals and shit trying to compensate like going oh oh like you can see around hit so you're going to the left yeah yeah yeah.
0: i mean as a machine gunner i approve this (laughs) i approve kentucky (laughs) Windows.
1: yeah. Yeah. You start with that cockney shit. I'm going to make you slow down, but not too much. Cause I watched all the top boy and I watched a whole bunch of football movies <laughs> and, and just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm almost fluent in, uh, in the bullshit. So, and I talk to Neville all the time. So top boy is a great show. Dude, top Boy's great. Uh, I felt like I had, I was like bilingual by the end of it. Um, I definitely felt like I wanted to be a drug dealer. for sure wanted to be a drug dealer
0: (laughs) sometimes I'm like why does my life have to be so good that I'm not resorting to drug dealers
1: yeah I was like oh man Um, yeah so if anybody hasn't watched Top Boy on on Netflix it's coming out with a new season but don't watch the pre-seasons because they'll make you hate all the characters because they're fucking dirtbags
0: mate I fucking really like the first seasons I, I actually thought I couldn't believe it as well that Drake is the savior of that that franchise like he liked it he saw the early ones liked it and just pumped the money in for the oh i didn't
1: know that yeah it's great that actually that makes a lot of sense (laughs) um the way that it the production value fucking went through (laughs) the roof all all of a sudden uh because the first seasons but the problem that i had with the first seasons was like sully's like my favorite character and he's a fucking scumbag in the first seasons, like terrible person um
0: and they try and make him a bit nice i don't
1: like it yeah, it was. Well, I
0: mean, I, I guess though, because he comes out of prison, I mean, I guess you can buy that there was maybe a changing, life changing experience in there. Yeah. Although when he's in prison, he does throw w- water and sugar on someone's face. So I mean <laughs> <laughs> he's not that nice. But like the yeah, the earlier seasons do, um it's it's something like there's like a tweet out there or something that um I can't remember the exact words, I'm paraphrasing, but like someone was saying something about top boy and then drake you know not having the next season and then drake just kind of like tweeted like yeah watch his space or something like that and just made it happen fuck you know so god bless him um the one good thing he's ever done <laughs> <laughs> um i like drake mate i'm just gonna put it out there but i am white and british so my, my opinion on hip-hop doesn't really carry a lot of weight um, <laughs> <laughs> right oh right well where's my, where's my bloody nose going here um yeah that so one of the things that, like i was just thinking about the You know, the weapon handling and stuff. And something I always thought was kind of cool about um, Americans in the Second World War was I've read, like, memoirs and stories and stuff where they've had, like, a guy in the company who's from, you know, like a hunter from Kentucky or something who just slip off and do their own thing and just come back with a bunch of scalps. Have you read about many people like that?
1: I actually, I just got this really fucking cool book uh, that the Smithsonian put out. Um, It was shrink wrapped in Barnes and Noble, and I took took it out of the shrink wrap to to take a look before I bought it because I'm not just I can't take it at face value. But turns out it was really fucking cool, and I bought it anyway. Um, It's uh, it's a Smithsonian published book about um, Native Americans in the in the military. It's called Why We Serve, and so there's a lot of shit about that. There's a lot of um, I mean, then there's a really cool component to like warrior culture carrying over you know how how that's like how um how a lot of those dudes were raised uh and going into world war ii um uh, you know by world war ii native americans had already been fucked over so many times by the government that a lot of people still scratch their heads like oh why did they do that but like you know there's some like passages some quotes uh from enlistees that are like yeah uh you know it doesn't really matter like how many times like it's still like we all still have the same home. So if, you know, it's, if it's defending the homeland, it's defending our homeland too. Um, But, uh, but yeah, in terms of like weapons proficiency and tracking and stuff like that, you, you right down to like the Navajo code talkers and stuff. um, There, there have been a lot of cases like that where they take people. And I think for the UK too, like the, the Highlands dudes,
0: Yeah. Back in the day, absolutely not so much now. Now they just drink Buckfast and yeah,
1: but it's like, you know, you, you find people like that. Um, the, the first special service force was all, uh, all dudes from, uh, Canada and Montana, like those, you know, those mountain States, um, where they, they knew how to live off the land and they knew, um, they knew most of the skills that they were, they were going into already. Um, they just, Put put together a fucking dream team of of dudes that already knew what they were doing. Um, so it's it's pretty cool to to think about that kind of stuff. But but I also wonder for you guys, even if it's still more difficult to get a hold of firearms, if it's like do you guys have like airsoft or paintball? Like, cause there's like a rise with that. Right. So like maybe you have, s- not in my life. There's not <laughs> people can keep that airsoft stuff.
0: <laughs> not interested in that mate. Um, what I do find, I do think though, is, you know, like there are some people who do airsoft and look, whatever makes you happy at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but, um, I my, my, I do think it's quite interesting. Cause like we in, if you're a veteran in America, you can go and hunt. Mm-hmm you know like i mean and you, you can actually hunt in, in the uk as well so i'm not saying it's impossible but it's not as it's not as part of the, it's not a big part of the culture like it is in a lot of places in america where you can go to the range and you can go out hunting and all that kind of stuff um and it is kind of interesting because obviously like you know we're all connected on the internet so to see that and you know i, I think like oh what you know because if I really, really, really wanted to go hunting, I could probably find a way of find making that happen in the UK somehow. But it's not—it's not just down the road. It's not—I I can't just take my rifle out the back and go into the woods and go and hunt. Um, so that—that's—that's that's been kind of interesting seeing those kind of differences because I've got a few friends who I think would love to still just go to the range with the guys and go out or go out to the desert and take your take your ARs out to the desert and set some ranges up. And mm-hmm. you know, um, what, what's your kind of like? your your i wouldn't say i wouldn't say like take on the veteran community but what's your kind of like view of the, the 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 kind of like common paths that a lot of veterans kind of take out because i think we can always kind of obviously there's always overlap and there's always some sort of differences but i think there's a lot of kind of groups that tend to emerge you know out of certain experiences is not there so what's that like for what what have you kind of noticed out there
1: um i mean i think it depends on on where you go for sure um you know if you go uh, to some of the bigger cities in texas um you know new york has a large like concentration but i mean it, it depends on where you go where the concentration of veterans is going to be uh that you're going to see it look like fucking tactical halloween mm. um and like and that's i mean that's fine if that's your thing if that's that's what you've made your identity if that's what you made your livelihood i mean the war uh costs the wars have cost taxpayers and families in america so much that like who the fuck is anyone to say uh that you can't make a living off of what you've learned you know and I, i'm i'm adamant about that 100% whether whether or not it's like tiring to see the same you know uh oh like we make pouches we we teach firearms courses like um It it doesn't, your business idea doesn't have to be original. It just has to fucking work and use, it just has to put food on your family's plate. I don't care. Um, you know, if, if it's working for you, if it's what makes you happy, like get off your high horse and stop criticizing it. Um, if you're, if it's a whole other thing, if you're teaching, you know, common people or even people who know better, like bad tactics or, you know, doing things irresponsibly, but, but if it's just like, that's what you're doing and that's what you love to do, and it's making you money and putting food on your, on your family's table, then what the fuck can anyone say about that? Um, in terms of like cultural identity and stuff, if, if you're attaching yourself, uh, you know, dead reckoning, we, we publish veterans books. Um, we publish veterans exclusively. Like we don't, we don't work with authors that, uh, haven't served in the military. Um, and it's not cause like other people don't have a voice. It's just because that's what we've chosen to do. That's, that's a cool, you know, that's a cool niche that we made for ourselves. Um, and, and we enjoy working with other veterans, not, not even necessarily like talking about, um, their military stories, but just working with them on their writing period. And I mean, if that's what you can make your, your identity versus, uh, firearms and, and tactics and, and things like that, then it's just a different thing. Um, and you can do both too. That's the beauty of it.
0: I see it, man. I mean- we have a lot of people in the UK, a lot of people from go from the UK military into pri- uh, close protection, you know, working overseas contracts. And I wonder, like, because in, in America, I don't actually, and this just could be, this could just be totally anecdotal and maybe I'm totally off on this, but I know a lot of American veterans and I don't know many that are in uh, involved in private security. And I know a lot that are involved in training and field craft and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, is is it fair to say that because there is that field craft industry, that training industry, that there are a lot more opportunities at home for veterans? Whereas like a lot of British veterans, et cetera, have to basically, you want to, if you want to work with weapons, you're going to have to go overseas.
1: I don't know, um, how the companies like differ, uh, like in terms of pay scale, but I'm pretty sure, um, you know from from what I know from reading very small amounts and uh, talking to friends who have been on both sides of the fence, um, it's because the the contracting industry, industry dried up. so when the when that money stopped, you know being so good, where you were getting paid like a thousand bucks a day by whatever uh, contracting company, then dudes started saying like, okay, the risk is, you know, juice is not worth the squeeze. So I'm going to stay home, be with my family instead of, you know, destroying another marriage and, you know, having kids from another woman, like, like a lot of dudes did throughout the GWAT, you know, I'm going to be able to be home and then, um, you know, start just do training, you know, CONUS um, like in in country. And by doing that, you know, I know uh, my friend Frank uh, in New York, uh, from Bull Creek Strategic, uh, also just started up a gun shop. So he's been doing firearms courses, uh, and then went in on on an actual like firearms shop. They do sales and then customizations, and then they run. You know, he bought a, a strip of land and, and bought the uh, bought enough land to do to do courses and stuff. While he's also running the shop, so um, you know, being versatile like that. But it's it's interesting, and I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. You know, Neville did contracting for a long time, but like by the time I kind of looked into doing it, um, like 2014, like I was in school when I was doing it, uh, or when I was like looking into doing contracting and stuff, the money was shit, Yeah. you know? So at a certain point it dried up, they knew that, that, that dudes were going to do it anyway, but, and so I don't know, like culturally what's different between the UK, um, and or like any Commonwealth country and like the United States, but I'm pretty sure that's it. It's probably that like it's still maybe good money for you guys and not so much for us anymore.
0: Well, I think it's I think it's more like it's it's decent money, but it's like a lot of guys that have been in the infantry sector don't have other qualifications. Yeah, really. And because you can't put your tactical like I'm I'm one hundred percent same page as you, mate. Like you, all that money like that has been put into your training. It's actually ridiculous to stop using that when you get out. I mean, that should be continued to be used. That's good for everyone, but we don't have those industries in the UK to the same degree. So, where are you going to go? You're going to have to go overseas. Um, and I think as well, I, I don't. There's so many British companies out there because I think Britain has, you know, a great reputation for producing good soldiers and you know, good contractors. Mm-hmm. But I, my, I, I started. I did the ships for a bit, and I started as a team leader on five hundred bucks a day, and within two years, I was down to one sixty a day. And then, you know, it's at the point where you're like, well, hang on a minute. Why am I going away? Like you said, like, why am I ru- ruining relationships, going away, taking risk? And I could be making the same money working in a gym for a few days as a personal trainer. Like, this is ridiculous.
1: Um, so, like, there's, you know, there's that. Even if you don't have a family, like, living out of a duffel bag fucking takes a toll on you. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're only taking care of yourself, like, that, that nomadic lifestyle and, like, constantly, like, getting ready for the next trip and the next trip, like, that's not
0: for everyone well there's no um old well, they all say there's no security in security so you don't really know when your next job's going to be yeah
1: but that does bring us very
0: well onto writing because i do think that if you've done security and had no security in that then it set you up well for the artist's life but well, at least you know <laughs> you're not going to get shot in the face unless you write something <laughs> really shit
1: yeah, and you might not get paid shit either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I, mean, I just, I, I just take that one as standard too. Like I always think with art and stuff, and um, I want to really talk about writing and things. Um, but I will just say this: like I always write with the with the thing of uh, in my head of, would I still write this if I wasn't getting paid? And if that's yeah. a yes, then you'll enjoy it. But let's talk about how you got into writing. Where did all that come from?
1: Uh, so, I mean, like I was talking about earlier, I, I've, I've written from a really young age, it was something that was free. Um, it was something that I didn't need my parents to facilitate while they were doing whatever they were doing. Um, you know, it mean, while, while it may have been encouraged, it definitely wasn't like facilitated all, all the ways. So, uh, it was something that I could do on my own, um, and, and do easily, uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, I didn't go to school for it. Um, you know, when I was young enough to like start thinking about college, I wasn't, um, and, and it wasn't, it just wasn't on my radar. Uh, and, and it wasn't something I thought writing wasn't something I thought I could do uh, professionally in any capacity, um, or that would take me anywhere uh, or anything. So it was something that I enjoyed doing and that's just, that's really like what the common theme has been, you know, Um, like you were just saying, like, if you can't get paid for it, would you still write it? Like, that's everything I write for me. Um, you know, anything that I write on my own, like I'm almost never writing it, uh, with the intention of, of selling it to something. Um, I'm, I'm always writing it for myself first and then, and then I can figure out where it's going to go after that.
0: So let's start with then how dead reckoning collective kind of, uh, kind of, kind of came into being when, when was, when did you start thinking about, publishing books when did you start thinking that you know you could be a um a kind of like a a place uh, for putting veteran voices out
1: tyler and i were uh, stationed together he was in the 173rd uh, i was in a small detachment um in italy uh and we met kind of by fluke like his uh his fellow medic um in his unit was married to uh, a girl in my unit Um, and we met at a, like a little party at their house when I, and when I say little, I mean like a a dozen people, maybe. Um, and he was pretty new to the unit, uh, by that time he wasn't there too long before they deployed. And then he got hurt, uh, and came back early. I saw him then, and then I didn't see him again for like years. Um, but we kept in touch and, um, we talked a bit about his writing and stuff. And then when I started, this blog, he he sent me this piece, uh, which ended up being the first piece we published. And then after that, uh, he got a bit more involved and and we've been like partners in crime ever since. Um we co-authored the first book that uh that we decided to publish. Um and we did so. It's called Fact and Memory, and like so it's an even number of poems between the two of us, and then a couple that we co-wrote. Um, and he and I did that so that we could fine tune our process in terms of editing and formatting and design and, and all that stuff because we knew that if we wanted to, to put out other people's books, we didn't want to fuck them up. You know, if we were going to, if we we're going to botch, botch a project, <laughs> we wanted it to be our own work. Um, cause we, we take that stuff seriously. Uh, and so that's kind of how we use that as, as a, as a test run. And we did really, really well with it. Um, and so then we started, looking at at taking on other people's stuff and, and we're here we are like a dozen books later um you know doing doing what we really love to do
0: well mate i was thinking about i think we've had four guests on that have done dead reckoning stuff if i if i'm correct we've got leo jenkins yeah Mike govland yeah um marty hasn't published through us
1: um oh, okay. Oh, okay well fuck my but now. he's a i he's used, a used to
0: love you marty but now
1: <laughs> it's over. Yeah, he's, a, he, he's a dear friend and he's taller than probably both of us so well you know what's funny
0: as well bro is like you look like like you're both from new hampshire right
1: yeah and like you
0: guys have the same exact outfit on the same be- like the same beard <laughs> like it's definitely issued if you two um but yeah you've so um we've you also done um tom schumann yeah, he did the intro for Wars of Iraq if you, and then you've had obviously a, a boy Neville Johnson on. So you've done like we've had quite a lot of Dead Reckoning published um, writers on
1: on here. Uh,
0: wh- who were some of your favorite writers? Kind of growing up,
1: growing up, I read uh, Crushed Walter Dean Myers um, and S.E. Hinton. I really liked uh, what they they brought through with like the you know the street shit. Um, and then also like gave kind of a sprinkling of like what the veteran experience was like. Um, cause Walter Dean Myers wrote a lot about like gangs and, and inner city stuff, um, growing up in Harlem. But then he also was a Vietnam veteran and he, he wrote about that. Um, he actually, it, it's like young adult, So it's like hard for me to like swallow my pride and, and write it. But like but the last book that I think he released before he died, uh, was, I think it's called like sunrise over Fallujah. So he wrote about like a newer, you know, war experience. Um, and I always thought that was cool, but, uh, and then Essie Hinton, you know, obviously started with like the outsiders. Um, cause it's, it's, it's usually assigned in school. Um, but I read it before I was not insi- like, it was assigned to me, uh, for any class. Um, and then I just crushed her catalog too. So, um, and then I think once I got a little bit older, I started reading like, Chuck Palahniuk, um, I also had access to all my mom's like textbooks and stuff. Cause she was in school when I was younger, um, like doing her, her bachelor's, uh, for occupational therapy. And so like, but from her liberal arts courses, she had books. Like I read, uh, all quiet on the Western front when I was like maybe 10 or 11. It's yeah, heavy. <laughs> and yeah, no, I know. I always joked too. Like, dude, I didn't, I didn't even realize that it was written from the other side. That's how like a, a, mm. oblivious I was to a lot of like the themes in it. Um, so it's really cool to like revisit those, um, read a lot about Vietnam, uh, you know, watched, watched a lot of movies and stuff too, but, but yeah, those are, were some of my favorites, um, when I was younger and then, um, you know, got exposed to like a little bit of poetry, uh, whatever poetry I may have written when I was younger. And I mean, anything I wrote when I was younger probably sucked. Uh, and I thank God I like lost all those notebooks. Um, but, uh, but, you know, like Langston Hughes um, and, uh, and lots of different different poetry and then obviously like the hip-hop influence too, um, you know, from that young age.
0: Guys, please lend me your ears for a moment while I give a shout-out to our sponsors. Remember, no sponsors, no podcast, so get your finger away from that fast-forward button. Listen up, it's in your best interest. Um, because we we'll never try and sell you anything that I don't use myself, that is why. I have Zulu Alpha Straps on my watches, uh, Zulu Alpha Straps, veteran owned, veteran operated company, long time sponsor of the podcast, very grateful um, to have them, we had Daz on the show on our Remembrance episode, um, Navy veteran, or sorry I should say Royal Navy, don't to upset any of the old Matlows out there. Um, Zulu Alpha Straps, worn by frontline operators all around the world, they come in well, I'm going to say all shapes and sizes, but they don't really, because you've got to have a strap to go around your wrist on you. So they don't come in all shapes and sizes. That was a bit false. That was misinformation, as they say these days. Um, but what is absolutely gen is that they are very nice looking. They will make a shit timepiece look good, and they will make an excellent timepiece very secure on your wrist. So check them out at Zulu Alpha straps. Everything is linked up down in the show notes. Um... Also, want to say a massive thank you to Combat Fuel. Why? Well, because I look absolutely essence, that's why. And one of the reasons I look essence is because Combat Fuel helps fuel my juicy gains. Um pre-workouts i've used them i've loved them whey protein i've used them i've loved it vegan protein i've used it i've loved it and what else have i had from from them you can get your zma out there that's got zinc in it. that's good for your your immune system if you don't get want to get the old coronavirus i'm not saying that's not medical advice but try zma it gives you proper good boning in the morning as well you're welcome so is your missus uh, what else could I say about Combat Fuel that hasn't already been said <laughs> they, are, they are great, fantastic flavours uh, If they've got it in stock, they might not have Because I do try and buy them out of it Try out the whey way white chocolate Whey white chocolate, one of my favourites And the of caramel vegan protein uh, Both absolutely delicious At Combat Fuel or combat-fuel.co.uk All in the show notes Alright, back to the show it's swear you should say the hip hop influence put on in, end well, poetry because you know I don't know if you ever saw that Family Guy joke and it's like with the now I'm not saying she's a gold digger but she ain't messing with her and he's like hmm who is she messing with <laughs> and I, and, I, and I really kind of like okay I get the joke it's a funny joke but I do think that hip hop is is like I do think the good like good hip hop is storytelling poetry a lot of the time and I don't think like I I think sometimes we maybe a bit dismissive of, you know, certain things that, and and I, I think that there's some, there's probably some hip hop out there with the, the lyrics stand up to some of the best, um, you know, the, some of the best poets that we know of.
1: And I mean, it's a sign of the times too like, um, it'll, we'll study that shit years from now, like whether we want to think about it or not, like whether we win when we do it, like, like the mumble rap that you were talking about earlier, you know, um, Rob, Rob Lind, uh, who's saying for a, a Boston man called blood for blood has this podcast and he was talking about it a while ago where he, um, he recognized he was like, somebody was playing some kind of fucking mumble rap, some like SoundCloud shit. And he was like, Oh, that dude's on this drug. Like that dude, that dude's on lean. Like this is, you know, This is like, this is drug rap and he could tell it because he's, he's a recovery addict. He could tell. And so like, that's important. You know, that tells like, that tells a piece of history in the same way that like um, archaeologists will, will like dig through some caves and be able to tell certain things about uh, whatever, based on like the way um, that certain things are drawn, you know, they can, they can tell, they can tell that, like people are going to study that shit and be like, Oh yeah. Like people were mixing cough syrup and orange soda at this time in history and it was influencing music this way, the same way that they used to talk about like cocaine and weed emerging in the jazz scene. You know, these are like, whether we want to roll our eyes at it now, it's, it's going to be a part of history. It's going to be something that's studied like whether I can fucking listen to it or not, or you Mm can. Um, and whether they make way more on spot, even on Spotify than we ever will in anything like it's, you know, it's, it's something that like we should at least like stop and consider because it's, um, it it will like it will be studied it will be talked about
0: yeah i actually find it fascinating bro because like you know i can't say that i sit down in front of the fire in the evening with a cup of lean but i I, I do find
1: i I you know i just had this great fucking picture of you in a in a like a velvet smoking jacket (laughs) with a styrofoam cup like
0: (laughs) but dude like drug culture it does interest me a lot so if there's millions and millions of people streaming these songs I'm like, wow! This this is a fuck. This isn't a subculture. This is a fucking mainstream culture, you know. He, and I was talking to a doctor recently about, you know, how popular benzos are getting, how popular lean is getting, everything. And it's like, you know, like we we look now. It's like, oh, like Miami Vice, eighties cocaine, you know, Narcos, massive show about the cocaine industry, um, you know. And and I just think m- usually music is what you're seeing, it's like the kind of like the the top of the iceberg, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what all of us are exposed to, but what's underneath that iceberg, you know, this huge culture of, especially in America, a lot of young Americans, um, you know, I, I'd always be surprised and meet, meet a bunch of people. Like my thing's always been uppers, bro. Like, um, and I I like alcohol, but you know, my thing to get, do drugs was always something that's going to take me up. Mm -hmm. But when I was in Southern California, I'd be amazed at how many young people I'd be meeting, whose their thing was, they weren't interested in us. They all wanted downers. They all wanted, yeah, you know, bars and whatever to come down. And and I find I find it really fascinating, mate. And and I I think that you know when you see a lot of music coming from something, whether it be hardcore or UK happy hardcore or whatever, there's a reason that music has got popular. And I always want to know I want to know what that is behind it.
1: Well, I think like subcultures are are difficult. To, it's difficult to say that it's not a subculture because we're at a time in history where. Um, the the parameters for that have been kind of redefined right somebody said i can't remember who fucking said it but it was it made me think for like days on end about it uh that there's because of the internet there's no such thing as underground rap anymore and like and when and when he said that i was like oh fuck like he's right that's crazy because when you think about it you know i when i was growing up i used to find out about Um, hardcore bands and and um, you know different different rappers like through tapes and cds getting handed out outside of shows or sold at merch tables and that was it there was no there like much later on there was like mp3.com and some streaming sites um, but it was like really really like still in its infancy um that stuff hadn't taken off yet nowadays like you can, these, like the SoundCloud rappers, like the mumble rappers, you can be overnight and and all on your own, you know? I mean, that's starting to change a little bit, but I mean, at what point does it not uh, fit the description of a subculture? You know, what time, like at what point um, you know, when you're saying like, there's no such thing as underground rap anymore because everyone has access to it. That was the difference. Other people didn't have access to it, you know? And now you can like, enjoy hardcore music from the comfort of your own home you you can order t-shirts online you don't have to go risk getting punched in the face at a show to to get a t-shirt or a cd because nobody even fucking has cds anymore so it's like everything is a little bit different and like so, so when i hear like subculture i take it with a big grain of salt um i i don't uh, necessarily think that like we can define things like that anymore it's it's weird it's a weird, weird time to be alive, dude.
0: And I mean, the thing about music as well is like what Spotify and stuff is so clever with is their algorithms. So I'll be like, oh, I like this track. And then another one will come up and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this artist before. And then I'll go on that artist. Thirty minutes later, I've been going down their hall. Well, I suppose I could go to the radio of this song. Four hours later, <laughs> you know, and I've just I've just got just discovered ten new artists who are fucking great. Yeah. And I do think that like it's it's obviously pros and cons with it, right? Because on one side, I think people have got a better shot at making it before. Because like, you know, when I was when I first started going to dance music events, if you want to be a dance music producer, you had to get the money together to make your own fucking vinyls which you would then go out to give to DJs and hopefully get some DJs to play them. Which is so you know you that's a, a big cost for a lot of people and you know this is in the days where like not many people had computers and shit too right whereas now anyone can do I I started learning uh, Ableton earlier this this year and I'm you know I'm never gonna be on main stage EDC let's just say it you know that's not that's not the dream <laughs> I believe in you but well my lean habit is just gonna it's just gonna take me down <laughs> yes. but um you know like that's but. in a a year from just intuitively because we all know now how to use computers yeah so intuitively you can figure stuff out on any kind of computer thing but yeah it's, it's a
1: common language now like even when you first started being able to like remember when you could first burn a cd oh yeah like that was a game changer for a lot of people you know and they'd fucking ruin their parents computers trying to like burn burn a million demos um but even down to like navigation dude like i was i always joke with like uh, when I meet like younger bands, dudes in, in younger bands, like the game has changed. You know, we had, and even, even we had it easier than previous generations. Previous generations had fucking road Atlas maps. We had a binder full of map quest directions. You biodome. <laughs> I had the road. We would have now. been fucked. <laughs> I had the map bro. And we had, yeah, we, you know, I mean, we had a, a map book too, because if we, if we had gone off the beaten path, we had step-by-step directions. And now they have, like, like, we dude, we didn't even have a GPS, like, to go in the, in the van, you know? Um, we, had a, we had step-by-step directions from the venue to Chipotle to Guitar Center. That was, like, and, and that would be, like, the standard for each tour stop. I like that, though. Um, I didn't, like, punch it into my phone. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. But, like, analog shit is great. That's why, like, Dead Reckoning, um, you know, when we uh, show consideration for, for an author, we, we send out, like, a, a, an actual, like, hand-signed letter. Um, that, like that analog, uh, style of communication, um, and tradition is like important to a lot of people and it and it speaks volumes. So I don't know, technology has like done, done wonders, but it's, um, it's taken away a lot of the, uh, the genuine uh, nature of, 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 a lot of industries.
0: I think the bookshelves behind you probably answer this question, but where do you stand on the on the physical or the ebook
1: kind of uh... man? I can't do ebooks. Um, I can't read them. It's really hard. Like even when I'm editing a manuscript or when I'm uh, proofing something, I have to. I generally have to print it out. I really can't. um, I can't stand reading ebooks. I've never had a Kindle. I've never had a. Let's see. What's the other one? Kindle.
0: I should know this considering <laughs> I mean, the fact, I think the fact yeah, that same. neither of us know this, we might be leaving some money on the table here, mate, that we should probably find out what these things are called.
1: We accommodate eBooks. Um, we try to make everything accessible anyway, but me personally, like, you know, doing audio, doing digital, uh, is important because not everybody has the same, the same things. Um, some people have, um, different auditory disorders that like, that it makes it hard for them to read a paperback novel. Um, So you got to accommodate for that, but, uh, but for sure for me, if I can't hold it, I I don't, it's not doing the same, the same thing for me. You know, um, I also like like to mark my shit up, even if there's no point to it. It's just, you know, I like to underline shit and, um, then, then page corners and, and all that. It's
0: my book now. Yeah. With the, with the audio books as well. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in like, if you're writing for veterans, which a lot of the times, you know, both of us are. Um, let's be real, a lot of veterans have never got the chance of an education um uh, and can't read. Yep. Just base that, that's not a that's not a um a swipe at anyone because I you know I'm saying it, I'll say it again, never got the chance. Not not able to, just never got the chance because of the bad school parents, whatever.
1: Like get it, get it however you can. Like take that shit in. There there's no shame in it. I can't do audiobooks. I can't like it's just for me, not everyone's brain works the same like you you take you process information differently and for me if i'm listening to something like that like I, and i'll go through phases where i can listen to podcasts but it's for sure passive for me um and then i'll go through like long stats where where i have none um in my my degree that i'm doing right now uh once in a while there will be a podcast and i'm like oh sick because i can just like throw it on and maybe get bits and pieces that i can take something from um and like not have to like dedicate time to like sit down and like highlight shit from a textbook. But, um, but other than that, like it's really hard for me to to listen to something and fully engage in it. So it's like, if that's how you're getting it, get audible and crush books like, you know, like a whole bunch of people are, um, for me personally, can't do it.
0: Me, what I found works quite well. So it's like, um, if I'm reading a book, let's say I'm researching the mafia. Um, you know, i get a book on a certain mafia individual, Read about that. And then when I go for a walk, I find the podcast about that same guy. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's kind of like layers of paint going on rather than, you know, like, you know, and I, and I find because it, it doesn't matter if my wa- mind wanders off and starts thinking about boobies for five minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter. I come back to it and it's, you know, but if I was reliant on those podcasts, then it, it just wouldn't go in. Like if I'm doing the podcast, I'm probably going to be sat there with a the no- notebook, in which case, probably better off for the the book in the first place there's mate there's one book in particular that i want to make sure that we talk about um War is a racket yeah i said that as a statement it is also the title of a book um like how did you get introduced to this book and can you run us through your kind of dead reckoning's um relationship with it
1: so we started publishing some older titles um as a way to kind of reintroduce them um if you go uh, in a, in a bookstore or go on uh, the internet, like you'll find uh, republished copies of, of a lot of like older titles and they're just shit. Like people are just hacks dude, because they like, they pump them back out. All they do is copy and paste the manuscript in and then, and and, and, like put no effort in. Um, And a lot of times, unfortunately, like people do judge a book by its cover uh so given the fact that that we have a strong veteran following uh and a and a pretty strong following of of critical thinkers um we started taking some some books like that we've got so that's the first installment uh of the critical classic series and then we have got a couple more uh in the shoot um but i mean that one I, we we really worked hard to get out uh on the timeline that we did given everything that happened in afghanistan um A lot of people were, were irritated and, uh, and, um, you know, disheartened by the fairly predictable, uh, performance of, of the government and the, the withdrawal. Um, so Schumann knocked the fucking forward out of the park. Um, and you know, all the while he was, he was doing really important things with that. Um, but I think it's, it's something, you know, considering it, it was written as long ago as it was, um, it's something that everybody should give a chance. It's a really short read. Um, but especially, um, you know, Thomas Schumann's, uh, forward is, uh, is a great addition to, to that book. Uh, we did a little bit of history about, uh, the author, author himself, um, and, and, you know, a little bit of history about the book, uh, and how it became a book and stuff like that. So, Super cool piece. What did you think?
0: Um, well, first, mate, I just wanted to ask when, when was this go? Was this in the pipeline before Afghanistan um, the collapse, or was it was it inspired by you know the dead? Yeah, no,
1: this was this was in the pipeline long before. Oh, okay, sweet.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say it's not like the collapse took anyone surprise. But it's not like we were like, oh, what, what? This whole thing was bullshit. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> it was pretty clear. Um, yeah. So, mate, yeah, it's. Um, I fucking, I was, I swear I came across it when I, I think when I was at a university, I think I might've come across it, but wasn't ready for it. Didn't really understand it or anything like that. And then kind of recame like, so me and Joe, who Joe does this, uh, ransom bands episodes with me sometimes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I've had it on. Um, it was, um, I think we talked about this, you and me, I, I, cause we, for ages I was like, right, well, it's a short book. I want to go through it with, um, Joe and break it down. But um, I just didn't have just didn't have the time to, or rather, I didn't prioritize the time to get to it. And then when the Afghanistan things started happening, and I saw you guys were bringing it out. I was like, okay, well, let's wait until we can, you know, can combine it, um, you know, with with the release and stuff. And then Tom came on the podcast to talk about it, um, you know, because he is a man, a, a man of science, must a learned scholar. Yeah, to so give it. Yeah, we had him on to give it some gravitas. Um, so you know, got to have an officer to discuss these these matters mate (laughs) but yeah I just think as with so much history because I do consider it a historical book in a a way because it's very much touches on historical events that you know pertain to what he's talking about Um, and as with so many things mate you read it like I I was catching up on my uh, Peloponnesian war recently Mm. and um, you're kind of like "Ah, nothing really changes does it really it's kind of depressing in a way but you know Um, is that kind of what you take for, take from reading historical
1: um, historical accounts of old authors? Yeah, I mean, war is, is great for the economy, um, but I mean, in terms of taking taking stuff, um, you know, similar to what we were talking about with like mumble rap, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's part of history. You can you can sense the frustration from it if you read about like, um, you know, Butler's uh, involvement in like the Bonus Army and stuff, and and the siege on the. Um, the capital law, like it's just, it's crazy. You know, the stuff that, uh, that we didn't, um, didn't learn about in school, um, but that is so much of a, a part of our history.
0: Probably the first time Smedley Butler and mumble rap have ever been brought up in, in
1: conversation together. I mean, I think you'd be down for it, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but mate, you know what though? You're you dead right. Cause that, the bonus army story was something I didn't know about until I reread um, th- th- this. Um, yeah, you know, like obviously like, you know, last well, 2020 Black Lives Matter movement. One of the things people want to talk about is like, you know, we need to make these, this, all of this history known. And I, I totally agree. Like you should know all of a, a country's history. Nothing should be taboo. Nothing should be off limits. Yeah. I'm like, but really when we're talking, we You know, I think there's this thing with race where people think like, "Well, it's the race stuff that people are kind of leaving off the table," and we talk about everything else. It's like, well, we really don't talk about fucking shit that happened. Like the amount of stuff that we actually talk about as countries that happened is so small compared to the to the amount of um, just just really things that you. I kind of like you look back and should be like should be really known should be a national, you know, should be a national disgrace that you look back on and be like, right, we can never let that happen again.
1: Yo, look at the hundreds of fucking child graves that were exhumed by in Canada over the last year from residential schools. Most people in the States don't even fucking know what residential school, like what that term means, you know, and, and it happened here too. It happened here in the States. Um, you know, in the UK, uh, I actually watched, I mean, Amazon Prime has been good to me. Uh, when I do watch TV, like I, I find some gems and I, I caught on to this series because I had watched Top Boy and, and there were actors that were in Top Boy that were in this, uh, but Small Acts, um, which is about uh, the discrimination uh, by like law enforcement and, and like society, you know, uh, society in general in the UK in like the 60s and 70s uh, against like the West Indian population. Um, so there, and, and it's like a, I think it's like a six part series and it's all kind of highlighting like stories from, from that time period, uh, where those people had like a fucking rough go of it. And it's like, not really, it's not something that I ever read about or knew about, or that is like common knowledge. Um, you know, but, but yeah, I think people pick and choose the, the history. Um, and, and that's, dangerous and i think when people talk about like making history disappear i think there's a big difference you know when you're talking about like toppling statues and stuff like yeah i think it's dangerous to make history disappear but i think it's also uh important to differentiate like the glorification or like the you know the memorialization of of those like those figures who did like awful shit versus like erasing history altogether and like we have to find some kind of balance in between those things
0: absolutely and the defenders of of like these things a lot of times would be like, well, um, you know, well, it was different times, and you know, they kind of come at it from a, an attitude of, well, that it's beyond criticism, and or or because it happened that you think, you know, you're that it's happening right now, and I just think with it, you know, with history, it's like, look, you can look back on something and go. Well, that was bad. We need to learn from that and not do it again. Without being like you know, without self-flagellation, without being like, "Oh, our country is awful. We did this." It's like, look, yeah. it was it was what it was. The times were the times. But let's learn from it. And it doesn't mean that we it doesn't mean that we're fucking whipping ourselves and saying, "Aren't we terrible people?" We weren't alive then, so it it really doesn't matter. But we have to look. You you, you can look back at something terrible and say, "Well, that was fucking terrible," and that doesn't mean anything more than that.
1: Yeah. I think like, I mean, uh, there's always uh, criticism like in Canada, there's always criticism about the way um, that the government still treats uh, native people there. And like, you know, Oh, like why I had, I had read a really good uh, research piece about um, how the whole issue of like dirty water on reservations up there is a cop-out and the same thing happens in the States. Like it's crazy. the the treatment of two two different government, the treatment of native people by two different governments uh, is is pretty much fucking identical. Crazy. Right. Um, But like they, because, because those reservations run like businesses, even if the government gave them, um, you know, the money to like build those like water treatment facilities, there wouldn't be enough money based on what the government, you know, puts forth to operate them so it's like it's all for fucking nothing it's all like it's all a cop-out it's all you know those things um and i think you, th- you see a lot of a lot of shit like that but um i don't know yeah i think that's the the moral Gov- government's terrible
0: <laughs> um yeah i mean we could definitely spend the whole podcast talking about how much, um, I just dis- dislike government, but like, let's try and keep, I'll try and save those for the Ransom bands episodes. Mate. Um, do you think that America has learned any lessons from Afghanistan?
1: Define America? Like who? Well, so, who, well, yeah,
0: I guess I'm coming from the establishment. Hot, I, I, yeah, I guess the establishment. Do you think the American establishment, do you think the people in power, do you think the co- uh, the companies that benefit from this do you think that the do you think the American people that vote for them? Do you think that there is? Do you think that there's actually kind of a we we're not going to allow this to happen again? Or do you think that one or two years back to business?
1: Um, I, I say give it a couple months and we'll see. Uh, given given current events, um, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but I mean we haven't learned yet, and we've been uh, you know we've been a country for a couple hundred years and and still don't seem to learn every time, uh, we cart off like poor sons and daughters to, to some conflict that doesn't best serve them. Um, I think we'll, we'll see for sure. Um, you know, in these, in these next couple of years, if like we've learned some hard lessons, um, but I think for sure there are, um, I would say that like, you know, dead reckoning, like we're kind of reinventing the wheel. There were, there were veterans like after Vietnam, there were, there were veterans after world war one and world war two, like poetry and literature has always been a part of like warrior culture and like, and, and healing and, and post post post-war experience. Um, and I think really like the end of conflict, like this is no different. There are a lot you know, those dudes that we were talking about earlier running all those training companies and stuff. Um, I don't think anybody's like, banging on shields right now to go to war with anyone. I think everybody is much more critical of, of getting engaged in, in another conflict um, than, than we have been in the past, which is, which is good. It means like people are actually thinking and people are, um, you know, as opposed to like, there's been a couple, couple incidents over, uh, the last decade where, where people have just been doing a lot of sword rattling and, um, and getting pissed off every time something happens globally. But, um, but I think right now people are are a bit more critical and, and, um, kind of, kind of keeping their heads on a spool for, for what distractions might be. And, and it, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze if we go to this country that, you know, that we've never even pointed out on a map on our own.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty cool to see like the media being like building their trying to build their case and just a lot of prominent veterans and stuff on social media and stuff just being like no, not buying it, not interested. Yeah. Not buying what you're selling. You know, and I I think that's great because I think because now there are a lot of you know, you've got some veterans out there with huge followings and you know, that appear on shows like Joe Rogan and you know, all these kind of shows and that, that carries a lot of weight now. That was never really around before, this kind of network of, of uh, podcasts and social media and things. that We never really had that. Um, so I think that's kind of, um, you know, a good kind of weapon um, in the arsenal. Um, I just think by the nature of government and the nature of, the you know, the a lot of the businesses that are intertwined with them, there will always be people that push for war. Um, but at the end of the day, if people won't go, they're not going to go themselves. So <laughs> I think that, you know, there is that, that is the case for it, but I I don't know, mate. Like I, I really do. Um, I, I do ask myself and I'm going to ask you now, you know, do you think that war is, um, kind of the natural state of, of humans? Do you think that it's the peace? Do you think it's peace times, it's anomaly or the war?
1: No, I mean, I think, I, I don't know about natural. Um, it's difficult to say if it, if it's natural or not. Uh, but I think it, it is, uh, it's, <laughs> it is inherent. It's a given. It's going to happen. Um, you know, in what capacity, I don't know. Um, but, but I don't think, you know, somebody, somebody had commented on our, uh, an Instagram post I made the other day about, uh, the, this button that I saw in a museum, um, it was about like, don't fight Europe's wars. It was like pre-World War Two. Um, crazy history repeating. Uh, but like, it's, uh, he said that war is ingrained in our DNA. I, I don't agree with that. I don't. I don't know that. Um, you know, if you've ever punched somebody in the face and your hand hurt, it, it tells <laughs> you that like your hands actually aren't made for that. Yeah. I so, agree. so no. Uh, Neither is uh, my face
0: for being on the receiver.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. If you've ever headbutted somebody wrong, like I can, I can for sure tell you, like a hammer has has like a flat face for a reason, and like it, your your forehead is not one of them. Um, so. No, like it is not in our DNA to, to fight. Um, and, and I, am not, I'm not going to try to get in like some kind of anthropological, uh, discussion, uh, with Mike Baumgarten who, who teed off on that dude in the comment section, but like it's, it is not, you know, it's not a natural state, but is it going to happen for sure? Um, and it's, it is because of, of events set in motion and, and the way that, that those things keep evolving.
0: Yeah, I mean my thing on that would just be like, well look, if it's so natural, why did everyone need to be organized and put on a train by the government to go to the trenches? Why weren't they already there? Yeah, that's actually a great point. That's what I'm here for, mate. That's yeah. I also think it's a real fucking cop out as well. So oh, it was just it's almost like that whole thing of oh alcoholism runs in my family, so I've got to be alcoholic. No well you don't though you don't though, do you? You still got a choice.
1: I think that goes down a whole whole different set of rabbit holes. Um But like, but I, I see the point you're trying to make. Like, I think, um, it's just the
0: idea that you just got to surrender to something that's in your genes, you know, is, is kind of the point I'm making.
1: But that's what I mean is addiction is a whole, whole whole Uh, different fucking bag of tricks. But like, but no, I think if, you know, um, I, I was thinking I like to go back to Neville, I think, uh, that picture that Neville's got of him, him with the fucking pig and, and his, you know, his dad, like 20 years before him, uh, with the machine gun that he had, like, and it's almost identical, super cool. Right. But like, no, just because your, your father was in the military does not mean that you have to go serve in the military. Um, just because they had a war doesn't mean that you, your life is meaningless because you don't have a war. I think that's something that's been proven time and time again. Um, there are, there are all these, uh, all these people who serve during peacetime who, who feel like they, they didn't do enough. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's not, you know, find a different identity. Um, that one, yeah. that one didn't, uh, you know, find something else to attach yourself to find something else to, uh, to, you know, apply yourself to, because like that didn't happen. So it's, you know, then, then what else? Like chase something else.
0: Yeah. I agree, mate. And I do think as well, a lot of the times that the people I've seen, cause I've seen it a lot as well, people just be like, Oh, it's natural. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you're speaking with someone whose family is not in the firing line for this thing. Yeah, um, I'm sure if your family and your home and your kids, whatever, were going to be the ones who are about to get fucking that your hometown is about to get flattened, you might think, oh, maybe we should find another way of doing things, you know, instead of oh, I can just go over to this country for six months, uh, have have a great time, and then just come back and that's it. Yeah, you know, I'm not, not not to you know undercut the service that anybody's done. But there's a, even the experience of the most fucking hardened, uh, war fighter from America and Britain just pales in comparison to someone. that's like, so let's say being fighting in Iraq for 20 years, a local Iraqi soldier who's just been fighting nonstop for 20 years and has his family murdered.
1: And there's so many things that are being thwarted that we'll never even fucking read about in the news. Um, you know, that even if you know what you're looking for, you won't, you won't recognize it in a headline. Uh, but, that doesn't mean that I should have to take my sh- my fucking shoes off, and I can't bring toothpaste uh, through the TSA's little uh, gauntlet. Like, and that's why I take when when I when I go through every time those people are always dicks, and I take my tray as far as I possibly can because I know it's those mutts that I have to go and get them. So, um, it's I mean, there are we're at a weird, like I said, we're at a weird point in society. Like we're a, at, a, at a strange time in history where. Um, all of, all of these things are, um, you know, have consequences and like some, some of the shit we're just accepting and some of it, uh, people are starting to push back against and that, hey, that that's, you know, really what we try to like foster at dead reckoning is, is just that critical thought. And you don't have to like critically think the same way that someone else does. Just don't, don't eat everything that, you know, is put in front of you.
0: Toothpaste and tattoos. We have decided a very deadly but deadly combinations and cannot be part of a tolerant and well-ordered <laughs> society. I uh, mate, we've got to wrap up in a couple of minutes. So anything that you were, uh, any thoughts on your mind that you would like to leave the noble listeners with?
1: I released a collection of poetry, uh, end of summer that, uh, that came out. All right. Uh, from what I'm told, it's called climate purgatory. It's available on Amazon and on our website. um, and then we've got a whole bunch of other books. Like if poetry is not your thing, uh, we've got, uh, got a couple novels. We've got lucky Joe, which was written by Leo Jenkins, uh, David Rose and, uh, Brian Kimber. Um, which is kind of about like that guy, uh, you know, in, in everybody's unit, uh, that, that like nobody would take home for Thanksgiving, but everybody wants watching their back. Um, and then, uh, then we've got, uh, the first Marauder by, uh, Luke Ryan. Have you talked to him yet? No. Oh man. Yeah, we, well, I'll have to link you guys up. Um, he uh, and he's he's like me too. He he's got a a real like passion for um, the the World War One, like the the UK World War One poets, uh, Robert Graves and Sassoon, and um, and uh, and that kind of history. So you guys will probably have a good chat. But um, but yeah, and then we've got we've got a whole bunch more poetry coming out. Uh, we've got uh, Rock Eater by Mason Rodrigue. uh We've got Neville's book coming out. Um, we just had Amy sex hours, uh, poppies drop. Um, she's a really cool, she's a, a cultural support team member. Um, and, uh, and just a, a really cool lady. Um, so we got, we got her book of poetry out. So we've got a whole bunch of projects, uh, coming out this next year. Um, and then more courses too. We're doing, doing developmental courses for writing, um, memoir journaling, um, you know, writing about, uh, addiction recovery and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just, just stay tuned. The website's, uh, deadreckoningco.com. Um, and then we're most active on Instagram, but, uh, we put quite a bit out in, in newsletters too, that, that isn't on social media.
0: And don't forget war is a racket, which I think everyone has to read. Yeah. Compulsory reading. Um, honestly, um, a link, I'll put a link, anyone listening now, the wants a link to that stuff, I'll just put it down in the show notes. Cause I
1: know you're all lazy and it's um, <laughs> going to make it as easy as possible for you. I think we still have a couple signed copies from Schumann on the website too, and all the, all the profits from those go to PB Abate.
0: Okay, fantastic. Uh, PB Abate, um, for guys don't remember, it's, the, it's, it's Tom's kind of um, operation out in Montana with the... Well, it's not just Montana now either, is it? I don't think he's,
1: he's got, he's got, he's got it's... A, everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, there's chapters, chapters in every state. So the, the physical location's in Montana, but they have stuff going on all over the country
0: awesome uh mate well, let's let's do this again sometime mate we have more to talk about for sure um but thanks so much for coming on bro i've been looking forward to this and thank you for giving a voice to veterans getting the books out there as a veteran writer myself i do appreciate um anyone like that who's, who's making it happen and kind of getting past this you know i mean look you mentioned rock eaters yes do we enjoy eating rocks yes we do <laughs> you know, but that doesn't mean that we can't also be learned scholars um so yeah thanks bro thanks for coming on and where where can people find you on social media i don't know if you mentioned that uh
1: so yeah i'm just most active on dead reckoning uh dead reckoning's instagram so you can find anything i'm doing on there
0: all right brother well thanks for coming on mate and we'll, we'll catch you soon and to the listeners thank you guys for listening go and check out follow those links follow our sponsors go and get yourself some books get educated War is a racket Anything else? So I think we've hit everything. <laughs> all right, brother. M- um, mumble rap and uh, Smidley Butler. Mumble bro. rap, go pour yourself a nice cup of lean and get a book from Dead Reckoning <laughs> Collective. All right, guys. Catch you next time, and we love you, buddy. You're so a to all of us a dream that we'll die for. A reason for us to live and something we could fight for. I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a move on, but no matter what I do, my hands remember in my rifle.